So what if I told you every phone call you make is helping to fund progressive causes and politicians like Planned Parenthood and Hillary Clinton? You'd probably stop making phone calls, right? Well, the fact is your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your belief. So what's a patriot like you to do? Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and text, competitive prices, and donates up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. Mention promo code Steve at checkout and receive $35 in free activation fees for up to two lines. Call 1-800-PATRIOT or go to PatriotMobile.com. Mention promo code Steve. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV, and you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings, one more day. It's almost over. It's almost over. This is Election Eve here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network, where we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Now, I've got to warn you in advance tonight. You just heard it once. If you hear this sound throughout the course of the evening... All right, I'm playing hurt. Whatever reason, because 2016 can always get worse. For the last two weeks, I have been playing Dodge the Kids Cold. I thought I was out of the woods. And then, of course, I woke up this morning because it's not like I got to basically be up for the next 48 hours straight or anything. I got up this morning, guys, and what do you think happened? Did you have a cold or, or 2016 something? happened again. So I'm playing Hurt. That's a performance-enhancing drug I've got going on in there, otherwise known as Halls. Make sure the voice holds up for the next couple of nights. So I hope it – listen, you've got a high tolerance for being annoyed if you're listening to this show anyway. So I doubt the sound of me working a Halls while I'm talking is going to put you over the edge at this point in time. I mean, given everything else I bring to the table to annoy you, if you're ha- if if you're if you've hung tough through all of that, I doubt the sound of me working a halls is going to be where you throw up your hands and say, "That's it, I'm out, I'm out of here, can't handle the show anymore." But this is the Super Bowl. Bill Parcells used to say on NFL Films, "That's why we lift all them weights, so we can't miss." Now, if this was a regular season game, probably live to fight another day, but it's not. 
This is the Super Bowl, guys. Are you ready for the next couple of nights? Are you ready? Worst Super Bowl ever. Which Super Bowl is this, by the way? It's not just any Super Bowl, that's for sure. Is it that really, was it like Super Bowl Seven at Old Tulane Stadium in New Orleans before they built the Super Bowl? It was the Steelers' first, the Steel Curtain first Super Bowl. It was played in like freezing rain against the Minnesota Vikings with Fran Tarkenden. And it was like 10-6 to six or 16-6 to six or something like that in just nasty conditions. Okay. You mean like that? Is that kind of what you're thinking? Exactly. Yeah. Are you is are you going to be hiring a uh, um, a, a psychiatrist for us um, throughout the next 24 hours, 24 to 48 hours? Um, that would be that would be very. I, I think we'd all be in agreement that that would be a good move for for all of our mental health. I'm looking at it this way. After tomorrow, one of these two people cannot annoy me anymore. They won't go away, but I can choose not to watch Trump TV, or, or I can choose not to watch Hillary's global initiative speeches. You know what I'm trying to say? I, I, can, I can actively choose to say my favorite word. What's my favorite word, guys? No. no. I can say no. Right now, we can't say no, but after tomorrow, I can say Somebody got on me on our Facebook wall tonight for not being more positive. That's the positivity, Todd, that I'm hanging on to. Positive about what? What What are you supposed... And did they think before th- this election you were Mr. Rainbows and Sunshine? I, I don't get that. What What <laughs> are we supposed to be positive about? We're supposed to be hopeful, mm-hmm. but that's different. That it's going to be over. That it's That it's going to be over. I'm so excited for it to be over. I can't tell you how excited I am for it to be over. I, I just, I can't wait for this to be over. 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 I can't wait. I, I, to me, I'm declaring, win, I'm declaring a victory tomorrow night, no matter what happens. 27 hours, man. I'm winning. And, and because somebody gets exposed as phonies tomorrow night. Either the, either the Clintons finally get held accountable for their corruption. And I, I watched Primary Colors last night, Todd, just to get myself in the mood for what four more years of this will look like. Just trying to remind myself of what the moral piece soup of having the Clintons on you as a country, what that was like. Have you ever watched the movie or read the is book? Is that the Travolta movie? Yes, based yeah. on the uh, Joe Klein book, which is phenomenal. Yeah. I watched it last night, and I just... I needed a Silkwood shower afterwards, okay? Um, Either they finally get their comeuppance or this incestuous horde of Trump shills that have literally polluted the fruited plain for the last year, gone. We get to look at them like, what's uh, what's what's Hawk Harrelson say when you strike out on the White Sox Sox broadcast? He gone. We get to say that to Kaylee McAhaney and all these, this just, all of them. He gone. Hit the eject. Done. We're done. Flush toilet. Move on. It's a win either way. Now, are you just going to let him go, or are you going to get some good, solid trolling in before you Done. Put... No, I, I, no? Can't, I can't anymore. I mean, I, I, I can't. I, I, I can't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play taps, maybe, or ding dong, the witch, is, the witch is dead for the Clintons. Maybe I'll play that. But for this incestuous horde of Trump shills, 
I'm just going to courtesy flush several times. Wipe up, walk out of the room, and I'm not going back. I give you 48 hours at best with that one. You're going to see some low-hanging fruit, and it's just going to be T-ball time. I mean, this is, I think that's the merciful, and uh, that's probably the merciful thing to do, because... with what uh, with what the uh, Trump cult has, has put the rest of the country through this election cycle, and it's not just them, I understand that, but uh, it's it's probably not worth our time come tomorrow evening to to say anything to them. How often do you think, Steve, back when I first started with you, and I it happened a time pretty perfectly with the beginning of this entire cycle. I mean, I've been with you now for it's almost going to be two years exactly. And those shows, and we had the, the embarrassment of riches, Steve. We went through all 17. Rebecca forced you to go through the ones you didn't even want to go through, but we did it painstakingly. Like, how how could not something come worth fighting for when we got to this day, being proud of? It, You're ruining my mojo, man. We're not the same people we were two no. years ago, man. No, we're not. That's why I'm celebrating tomorrow. I mean... Everybody else, one way or the other, can choose to be depressed. I'm celebrating. Somebody's gone. We are rid of somebody. And I I have to not think about the question that you just asked me. Because the only answer I can come up with is um, get thee to a nunnery. I, I I can't even process it, man. I I, I can't handle it. I, I can't. That's that's why I ask. It blows my mind every I, time I it even. That's why I, I I don't even want to talk about it. I the whole thing makes me so sick. The opportunity that was lost here. I I, I just. I know. I can't. So I have to find artificial ways. To encourage myself to avoid looking for further for different career paths. I mean, I, I I spent four years of my life to get to this to get to tonight in my prime that I cannot get back. I have friendships that will never. I had friendships that will not recover because of this. I leveraged everything I had for tonight. We started this show with Salem one year ago tonight. This is the one-year anniversary of this show, tonight. And it's just depressing. I, I it, Yeah, I know. It hit me. I, I can't. I can't. I can't process it. It hit me. I clearly been numb to it for a long time, just accepted that this... But tonight, driving in, it hit me in a new way. This is actually happening tomorrow. Dear God, what have we done? I was talking about that um, earlier this afternoon with uh, a friend of mine. Uh, Can you believe it's tomorrow? And I haven't walked a mile in, quite frankly, either of you two's shoes. And yet... Chucking peanuts from the cheap seats. It's it's insanity. That's what we've seen this year. Insanity. 
Well, thanks to you, Todd, I came into tonight's show fired up and ready to go. And now I'm kind of thinking maybe I should have called in sick after all. If that's not depressing enough, wait to hear who I'm going to agree with when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. So what's yours? Resurrection. He's bringing back the American way. It's Steve Dace. All right, let's get caught up on some weekend news and views. Remember, coming up later in the show tonight, I'm going to go in-depth my predictions of what we, I think we're going to see tomorrow anyway. Predictions were pretty good in 2014 and in 2012, so we'll see if we can uh, hammer it again three in a row. But I want to begin by playing some audio that I saw over the weekend. Now, you guys will recall that I said at the beginning of this campaign, uh, even though I I think there are more undecideds than there were in 2012, I didn't think there would be uh, there'd be that many minds changed because you're dealing with candidates that each have a hundred percent name ID. Right. I mean, so what were you going to learn in this process that you didn't think you already knew? Over the weekend, I saw this clip from, of all people, Rachel Maddow, laying out these numbers of what people's views of these candidates were at the start of the campaign and what they are now. This is truly extraordinary. I've never seen this before in a national election. Listen to this. There is one thing in the polling that I just want to point out. For everything that we've been through uh, over the course of this campaign, for everything that has changed, all the twists and turns, so many reversals of fortune, just look at this for a second. We're going to put this up on the screen. This is how Hillary Clinton was viewed at the start of the campaign in January. 40% positive. You see that? Here's how Hillary Clinton is viewed now at the end of the campaign. October 2016. Oh, look, 40% positive. 40% in January, 40% in October. Now look at Donald Trump. Start of the campaign, this is January. Donald Trump viewed positively by 29% of the country. Now Donald Trump has gone from 29% then to, this is October, 29% now. The country has not changed. I mean, in terms of the likability, which is basically the core view of these candidates, we haven't changed over the course of everything that has happened in this campaign. And even if you ask people how they feel about the prospect of either of these candidates being elected, again, look at this. These numbers are as they start in, in, in February and they go through to October. This is, would you be hopeful or satisfied if Donald Trump wins? 33% say yes. In October, 34% say yes. It's exactly the same for Hillary Clinton. Would you be hopeful or satisfied if she wins? 43 in February, 43 now. I mean, this campaign has been has been riveting. It has been through almost unimaginable twists and turns. But you know what? These candidates, and Brian Williams talked about this from the very beginning of this campaign. These candidates were household names from the very, very beginning Mm -hmm. of this. We knew how we feel about them, and we still feel exactly the same way, given everything that we have been through. I felt Donald Trump was the first presidential candidate with 100% walking away name recognition. And the only other candidate for that is Hillary Clinton. And the the country, we knew what we thought about them before. We, We have had that reaffirmed over all these months. So when you're dealing with candidates that are this known and this unliked, guess what you got to double down on? The negative. 
You're going to have to double down on the negative because you're going to have to drive people to vote against somebody more so than for you, which then creates a self-fulfilling prophecy because when the candidates are more negative, what does that do to the electorate? They get more negative. They get more divisive as a result. And that that is the toxic combination, gentlemen, that has been this election. And in the end, despite all of this money spent destroying one another, very few minds were changed. Well, and it's the toxic combination, the exact one that Hillary wanted. It's the reason for months and months and months, and multiple stories have been written about this, why she was courting people like Rachel Maddow by the hundreds to help her within the media to help deliver Donald Trump. And I think she got it. Yeah, well said. I, I think this is just another facet of the Kobayashi Maru that the United States found itself in. For all throughout the primary process, Uh, And what was looking like could happen in the general election, which did happen, which was, yes, we know these people so well. We hate these people so much or dislike these people so much. So this whole thing was a charade. Meanwhile, we're tearing each other apart, tearing each other's spleens out. And this whole thing was just a dang charade. Nobody changed their minds on a darn thing, and we all hate each other now. Great. This is a great year. Steve, Hillary was right to believe that the only way she could win this thing was Donald Trump. But that doesn't speak to what the odds of the Republicans allowing that to happen. What do you think they thought about the odds of the Republicans letting what happened ultimately happen? I mean, they had to think this was a way longer, um, a very long shot compared to what actually played out, the degree that we just... It's like Jim Belushi and that old Saturday Night Live. Why don't you just give him the queen? That's a good question. I don't know that we'll ever know the answer to that. Um, you know, I, I saw some uh, some stuff today, you know, Trump on Fox and Friends saying Republicans have to do amnesty or they'll never win elections again. And, and I saw people saying, hey, where was all the opposition research by the other exactly. Republican candidates? You see my point. You're not going to like what I'm going to say in response to that. Because I'm not going to like it. But it's what I think is true. I don't think it would have mattered. I, I'm i not even sure if the grab them by the blank video, if it had come out in January, I don't know that it would have changed the primary. I don't. For all the reasons that Maddow just cited. We were because we he was given he had such high name ID. He was given so much free media. I mean, I'm watching friends of mine in conservative media complaining that that CNN's not carrying Trump's rally tonight. Well, they they only carried every last one he did during the primaries, and sometimes they ran them twice, literally. So. When you have that kind of advantage, most people are uninformed, right and left. Most people are low-information voters. Mindshare equals market share. Right? You want to know, guys, I mean, the Macarena went to number one. Stairway to Heaven never charted. How did that happen? Most people are low-information, guys. That's what most people are. Stairway to Heaven's an eight-minute listen. Takes an investment. Especially to get the end. It takes six and a half minutes to get to the really good part. 
Macarena kicks in right away. And your I'm so sexy by right said, Fred, you know the words within three seconds. Most people are like this. And so when you had somebody with this sort of name ID and then powered by such overwhelming force of free media to get him where he's at now so they can help Hillary Clinton win tomorrow, potentially. I don't know how much of this. Okay, so let's play this out. That video with Billy Bush comes out in January. Same Republicans who came out and said a month ago that, you know, Donald Trump should drop, say the same thing. Trump turns around. This is just the GOP establishment. They hate me. Yeah, I'm sorry. You see my point? Tell me I want to be talked out of this. All right? Because I'm looking at what the next, I'm looking at maybe spending 10 more years of my life doing what I just wasted my time doing the last few years, and I don't want to consider that's a possibility. So someone tell me I'm wrong, please. I want to believe if this stuff had come out months ago, things would be different, but I don't. You're listening to Steve Dace. Liberals seem to have a tough time handling so much truth all in one place. Stop! 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 It's the Steve Day Show. All right, we are playing hurt tonight, but it is the Super Bowl, so you know I'm out there. Ain't keeping me off the field tonight. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get to some more weekend news and views, including the uh, director of the FBI inserting himself into this campaign one final time, Aaron. Nothing to see here, Steve. Nothing at all. FBI Director James Comey told lawmakers on Sunday the agency hasn't changed its opinion that Hillary Clinton should not face criminal charges after a review of new emails. Comey wrote in the new letter to Congressional Committee Chairman, quote, based on our review, we have not changed our conclusions that we expressed in July, end quote. Comey dropped a bombshell on the presidential race last month when he sent a letter to Congress saying the FBI had disavowed or discovered uh, emails and separate investigations that could be connected with the now-closed probe of whether Hillary Clinton mishandled classified information. The move infuriated Democrats and emboldened Republican nominee Donald Trump. Comey's letter was the culmination of a fast-paced review of the newly discovered emails, law enforcement sources said on Sunday. Quote, we went through this as fast as we could, a senior law enforcement official told CNN, with another law enforcement official saying investigators worked around the clock to review the large volume of emails. The FBI found the new emails as a part of its separate investigation into a sexting incident by Anthony Weiner, the estranged husband of top Clinton aide Uma Abedin. The thousands of new emails were mostly personal and duplicates of what had already been seen, law enforcement uh, officials said, expressing how the conclusion was reached so quickly. The probe is considered over with regard to Clinton, although that's what we were told in July. 
So who the heck knows? This is where make sure you don't make arguments that undermine you. Like I saw a bunch of people last night. How did they look at 600,000 emails in nine days? Keep in mind that if we had a major terrorist attack happen in this country, and we found out it took them nine days, to, we, we wondered, how come it took you nine days? You see my point? Mm-hmm. Be, be careful. I mean, I, mean, I got to believe with today's technology, we can look at 600,000 emails in nine days. Of course you can. The, the real issue here is, in my view, Todd, and maybe you'll disagree, but in, the real issue here in my view is, why did he seek to insert himself into a campaign? He cannot be so tone deaf that he would not know what the implications of what his previous letter would be. If indeed there was not prima facie evidence that something there that was worthy of, of, of going to DEFCON 1 over had already been ascertained. I mean, that's a little bit like, do you call your buddy's wife and say, you know, there's never been, we, we've told you previously there's no evidence he's cheating on you, but we just found out he's driving around tonight without you after work. So we're just calling you ahead of time to let you know that we're going to go we're going to follow him around and just check in to make sure he's not with anybody. Who would do that? You're only calling the spouse if what? You know you have concrete information. Yes, you th- or you think that you you've you you saw them walk out of work with that one gal yet again for for you know, you know what I'm trying to say? I mean, there was nothing there at all then why did you do this in the first place? That's the criticism, not how they look at him in 9 days. I mean, listen, if we, if we were facing another 9-11, don't you think we'd all want the FBI to be able to go through 600,000 documents of pertinent information in nine days? Bet your sweet bippy. Yeah, you probably want them to do it in nine minutes would be my guess, right? That's not the issue. The issue is, then why did he insert himself at all? That's the issue. And both sides have a right to say right now that basically what he did is yelled fire in a crowded theater. I mean, police of all, all stripes, whether at the federal or local level, when there's a large crowd... And, you know, there's whispers of, I don't know, I think, I, you know, a b- bomb or something like that. The, the first, the second after the police get that information, they just don't spam it out there and say, okay, now we're going to do our due diligence and figure out if it's real. No, they take a little bit of time before they put things in motion where they got to start evacuating an entire stadium or something like that. I, I agree with you completely, Steve. What on earth were they doing? They got the, this thing exactly backwards. It's a, and, and it makes me wonder, then, how bad are the internal fighting between hmm. G-men yeah. right now? For it, That's the only thing I can think of, that that somehow forced some, for Comey to play a hand he did not want to play. Well, if I'm Comey, I better update my resume, regardless of who wins tomorrow. Because if I'm Hillary, you gave Donald Trump nine days of early voting to go after me as a potential criminal. And if I'm Donald Trump, I'm like, you inserted yourself into this campaign not once but twice and, got, and provided nothing of substance either time. You're fired. Get out. You're, you're fired. Yeah, you're fired. Yeah, and that was the same angle, Tom, that you just talked about that I, I thought of as well. I mean, if this was something where Comey didn't really have much power or he was being leveraged somehow— why did he? Why did he come back again and say, "Okay, we got nothing"? Because if he really did have no power in this uh, investigation, if he was being pressured internally to do something, you would have thought that they would have come back with something more substantive. It just—it makes no sense whatsoever. No, no, it doesn't make any sense, and, and he has to know that. 
He has to know that. So either this guy's an incompetent buffoon or there's some things you probably don't even want to consider going on within the highest branch of American law enforcement. You're listening to Steve Dace. There's left, there's right, and then there's right. You've come to the right place. It's the Steve Day Show. All right, more here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Let's get to some more weekend news and views. Trouble in mainstream media paradise. Aaron, uh, Nate Silver finds himself on the wrong end of the gun here lately. Yeah, that's right. And um, this is a write-up uh, from the New York uh, New York Magazine on uh, why Nate Silver got a little hot under the collar this weekend. New York Mag writes, If you spend your weekends bonding with family, hanging out with friends, or pursuing worthwhile hobbies, you probably missed the most epic Twitter battle about the proprietary or the propriety of trend line adjustments of the entire 2016 campaign. Right now, 538, the site founded by celebrated data wizard Nate Silver, gives Trump a nearly one in three shot of winning the presidency on Tuesday night. The Huffington Post, by contrast, puts his chances at roughly 2%. One reason why these forecasts diverge so radically is that they make different judgments about the predictive power of older polls. The Huffington Post's model is not as sensitive to temporary fluctuations in polls, presuming the consensus of old surveys will generally hold up once the dust kicked up by the latest news story has settled. Silver's model isn't as sticky. It presumes that more recent polling data is more accurate data, even if those surveys depart drastically from the past norm, or at least it makes the presumption more readily than the Huffington Post's does. And one way Silver fits his model to that presumption is adjusting the post-state-level poll results to reflect the new national trend. This method helps compensate for scarcity of polling in some key states. As Silver explains, or has explained in the past, if Trump led in a North Carolina poll by one percentage point in June, but the trend line shows him having gained three percentage points nationally since then, the model will treat the poll as showing him up by four percentage points. So, on Saturday, the Huffington Post's Ryan Grimm penned a takedown of Silver's method, likening his trend line adjustments to the unscientific unskewing that some pursued when the polls in 2012 pre- uh, predicted a result they didn't like. Grimm's central point was that by manipulating past poll data, Silver had transgressed the bounds of data journalism and entered the fallen realm of punditry. Silver disagreed, and he took to Twitter. He tweeted, quote, This article is so blanking idiotic and irresponsible. He went on to post his many disagreements with the article as well. And he says, finally, the problem is that we're doing this in a world where people like Ryan Grimm, the author of that article, don't actually give a bleep about evidence and proof. So that's kind of lays the groundwork, and this is where I need to toss it to you, Steve, to um, explain why this is so substantial, because there's a difference between statistician 
and a pollster, right? What, what, what Nate Silver is doing now is not wrong or unethical, but it's what I'm doing. He's now an analyst. He's a pundit now. And, I mean, I, I think his criticism of the Huffington Post model that gives Trump like a 98% chance to win is right on the money, too. But four years ago, Silver was giving Obama a 91% chance to win when the polls were closer than they are right now. How was he doing that? Well, he was waiting the results four years ago. But the way he was waiting them was, you know, they have the pollster ratings. Mm-hmm. So if, if you were a low-rated pollster like uh, Erasmussen or a Zogby, uh, you didn't get the same weighting in his algorithm that a Monmouth or a Quinnipiac or a Seltzer, who are all highly rated pollsters, get. So he's weighting you based on your own performance, and that went into his that went into his data. What he's doing now is he is weighting these polls based on what he thinks the polling the top line result means. He's reweighting a weighted, already weighted poll. And that is, so while I agree with his, his criticism of the Huffington Post election forecast model, um, I agree with their criticism. That he is, in many cases, he is unskewing these polls. That's what he is doing. Now, my, he might turn out to be right. You know, I've, I've read some places where he, pe- people think he's doing this because he got burned so bad. Bad in the primary, um, and thought and overestimated or underestimated the Trump impact, and so now he's kind of overestimating a little bit now in order to come out in the wash. I mean, you know, the New York Times has an, has what's called the upshot, which is what they started after he left and went out on his own. It's basically what Silver used to do, almost exactly, and it has Trump. I think, or I'm thinking, it has Hillary tonight at 84 percent to win. I mean, so when we're talking, I mean, you know, Silver's model is 65% for Hillary to win. I mean, what's really the difference between 65 and 80? That's still a pretty heavy favorite. Slight difference in heavy favorite, but it's still more than two to one. But here's why I think this argument matters. People ask me, why do I use so many mainstream media resources in my data analysis? Because I learned if I wanted to be right, I had to get objective information. You know who one of the best pollsters around is on elections? What's called public policy polling, which is the polling firm of the Daily Coast, the Uber left website. They are not like us. See, their echo chamber is on ideology. I mean, they will overlook any sin to promote their ideology. They don't care about the character of their candidates. It doesn't matter. We've seen that how many times. But on nuts and bolts process stuff, they don't like to be lied to. There's like a wall, pardon the expression, between their ideological pursuits and how they pursue elections. They want to, they want to know what the situation is. Our movement is not like this. Our movement is sort of melded the ideological with the nuts and bolts aspect of it. So in many cases, we only promote the results that we want, that tell us what we want to hear. So tonight, Gravest Marketing, which is the Breitbart News polling, has Trump losing literally almost everywhere. 
Is that what's being talked about in Breitbart world? <laughs> no. In fact, most of you who read Breitbart probably wouldn't know that unless I just told you this. Right. See the difference? They they don't operate the way we do. By the way, who's been winning lately? I rest my case. You're listening to Steve Dace. When you're upsetting everyone, you know you're doing it right. You are human tennis elbow. You are a pizza burn on the roof of the world's mouth. It's Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. One more story from over the weekend. Some fun with polling, courtesy of Bloomberg. They they took us to Fantasyland, or to Fantasy Island, Aaron, and... And what did they tell us? Yeah, the latest uh, Bloomberg Politics National Poll asked voters who they'd support in hypothetical matchups between Trump and President Barack Obama and between Clinton and the 2012 Republican presidential nominee Mitt Romney. The result? Obama would clobber Trump and Romney would trounce Clinton. Obama, of course, can't run for a third term, but if he could, he'd beat Trump by 12 percentage points, 53 to 41 percent, according to the poll. Romney would defeat Clinton by 10 percentage points. You buying that, or is it just these two candidates are both so disliked that anybody opposite them with high name ID, we have high regard for? Although, I'll say this, if you look at their favorables... You know, we've talked before where pollsters have been flummoxed because you typically can't score three to five points better than your own favorable rating, right? You, you typically can't get more votes than that. What is what is Barack Obama's favorable right now? It's like 53. That's essentially what he got. In fact, Trump is at, about, is, is at 41 in that poll. His favorables are 37, 38. So, yeah. he's, so he's right in that zone. Obama's right in that zone. What's Hillary's favorable, favorables? They're about 42, 43. Where is she in that Romney poll? 40. So right in that zone. So that goes right to what we're talking about. I mean, essentially, all that poll did was just match up the favorable ratings of those two individuals who are both more popular than either of these two individuals, and the result came out accordingly, Todd. And of course, yes, in the shadow, the pall of this ugly election, you can just fill in, and forget Obama, but... Pick your Democrat uh, du jour in there, and they're probably going to be Trump, and vice versa. It doesn't have to be uh, Romney. What you know, what both of them would do under the weight of actually running in another election, as badly as we've seen both of them uh, perform, particularly uh, Romney. Uh, but I mean, the heck, there, that was a version of this. Barack, Ob- Barack Obama was not. Uh, his 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 team did fantastic work, but Barack Obama did not run uh, the campaign of the century personally four years ago by no stretch of the imagination. Romney got more and more flaccid as time went on. So 
I, I, there's nothing to be, oh, gosh, if we had only. Let's stop thinking about Barack Obama and Mitt Romney that way because those are the two politicians who are the last ones to, to sign off and bring us to where we are right now. Completely agree. I think we need to stop saying if only and start saying what now. Yes. <laughs> In fact, I'm glad you brought that up because that's what we're going to talk about next. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back here with Hour 2 of the Steve Day Show, powered by conservative reviews still to come later in the show. My in-depth predictions of what will happen tomorrow in the election. Don't forget, if you're listening to this sound here tonight, it's because after playing Dodge the Kids Cold for two weeks, <laughs> of course, because it's 2016, it decided to nail me when I needed to be up pretty much for the next 48 hours straight. So sinuses are on fire, my throat, not much better. So to make sure I can do this gig for the next couple of days, we're playing hurt. I took a little cortisone shot called Halls, and uh, I'm out there because it's the Super Bowl, baby. I, I'm not sitting this one out. So I don't. I can't guarantee how long I may sit out when the Super Bowl is done, but uh, at least for the next couple of nights, I'm here. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Bob Vanderplatz is here with us on Election Eve. Bob, how are you? I'm doing really well. It sounds like you've been running for president or something and giving all these speeches at all these different rallies. And all of a sudden, you know, who knows? Pretty soon we'll be escorting you into a suburban with a bunch of people around us and some cameras taking a picture of this. So you mentioned the election. I'm going to give my picks a little bit later on. Where do you think we're at on Election Eve? You know, I, I, there's no doubt. I think any forecast you look at, if you look at the data, I think Hillary Clinton has a has an advantage. That being said, I do think uh, Trump has some openings. And so this quiet Trump support, this hidden Trump support, whatever Trump support that's out there, uh, there's no doubt I really do believe there's more people who want to vote for Trump than want to vote for Hillary. That being said, I think it's a polarized election that they're trying to vote against one or the other. Uh, so I think Hillary has the advantage on the president's the presidential race, uh, but I still think it could be a surprising night as well. And who knows if Trump can you know break through in this thing? What would what would have to happen in your view for it to be a surprising night? I think also all these people, this momentum that uh, the pollsters just somehow couldn't couldn't measure gauge. That's what, that's what we're being told. Austin came out of the woodwork saying, I'm voting for Donald Trump. Um, and if that's going to happen, I think you're going to see it early. I think you're going to see it in Florida. I think you're going to see it in North Carolina and Pennsylvania and some of these other states that you're going, holy cow, that really did exist. And if you see that on the East Coast, I think you're going to be in for a long night. Because I think if Trump does win, he might get to 270, but not much north of 270. 
I think if Hillary wins, she could she could not only go through 300, she might sprint through 300 if things start breaking her way. What about the Senate? What do you think is going to happen there? You know, most of the forecasts I've been seeing, and I think legitimate numbers, I think it's going to be, you know, 50-50 split. Or it's going to be advantage one way or the other. But I think you're looking maybe 50-50 split. And if, if Hillary Clinton's the president, uh, that puts Tim Kaine uh, as the vice president, basically the tiebreaker for the U.S. Senate. I have been saying all along that if the Republicans lose the Senate with Hillary as president, there's a lot of people in this world I'd rather be than Paul Ryan. And if you want Paul Ryan to be the GOP nominee in 2020, that is not the environment to If make you want him so. to be Speaker of the House. No, I mean, if you want him to be the Republican nominee in 2020. Sure. Because we all know. Let, let, let's, let's just... One of the things I'm going to demand when this is all over, total honesty at all times. So much spin, so many lies, I can't handle it anymore. I want total honesty at all times. So here's total honesty. They ain't going to fight her. I think we all know that. They're not going to fight her if they, if they officially have control of the Senate or if they, unoffic- if they officially don't. I think we all know that, right? Well, that's been, that's been the record. We yeah, need the U.S. Yeah. Senate in 2014 so we can stop all this stuff. We can repeal she'll, Obamacare. She'll play, she'll play the Obama game of give me everything I want or there will be a shutdown. Mm-hmm. And Republicans will go to the media saying we can't have a shutdown because we always lose. We played this game. We know how it plays out. We, so are we all going to stipulate to that? I would agree with that. Okay. So with that being said, then, then, the, then the, officially the only barrier between her agenda and the American people would be what? The U.S. House. And who runs that? Paul Ryan. All appropriations come out of? U.S. House. You see where I'm going with this? Yes, I do. This is the this is the demise of John Boehner playbook. We're just exchanging a chain smoker for a crossfitter. Other than that, we've played this. We know how this story ends, don't we? So that would mean a year from now, I think we're talking about two stories in that scenario. She's the most unpopular first-year president we've ever had. And his his ratings are in the toilet. Boehner toilet the Boehner toilet, because people are like, you're just rubber stamping everything they do. And we're just and we just play this out again, don't we? Tell me I'm wrong. No, I don't think you're wrong. And that's disastrous for a presidential candidacy. Meanwhile, let, let, meanwhile, if Rubio wins Florida and Trump loses that day, this is not an endorsement, but an observation and analysis. His political brand is not only resurrected. It goes through the roof. I do believe it goes through the and roof. And then he sits there in the Senate when they're in the minority, and this, and McConnell like, hey man, we got to keep you. We're gonna we got to preserve you. So you take all the principled votes. You build up that heritage score. You build up that freedom work score. You build up that liberty score. Conservative review. You know what? We got to we got to preserve. That's that's the mistake we made last time. We didn't preserve anybody out of this. So we're gonna preserve you. You're gonna take all the good Ted Cruz votes. So. Marco's over there, tiptoeing between the raindrops, taking all the good principled no votes. That hot potatoes in Paul Ryan's lap every day that ends in Y, eight days a week and twice on Sunday. You know where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. That's not the path to being the GOP nominee in 2020, if there even will be a GOP in 2020. And I would not take that for granted when this is over. Well, I do think you're right. I think if Marco Rubio wins, and if Trump were to lose Florida, there's no doubt his political clout, his political capital goes through the roof. I think a lot of people start looking right away. If we would have had Marco Rubio atop of the ticket, 
Uh, we defeat Hillary Clinton. He's the incoming president. Especially because we're seeing this Hispanic surge sure. in Florida. Rubio wins anyway. Trump loses. You can, you, you can, you know where this narrative is going. You have to be a political genius to figure this out. And Rubio also is young enough, and we said that early on. Uh, I think you said early on, you know, 2016 may not be his time, but a future race might be his time. Because I do believe he would have learned a lot from the Gang of Eight. All that being said, it's one of those things I look at, you know, don't borrow tr- tomorrow's trouble when you got enough trouble today on your own. Let's get through tomorrow. Let's see what happens here. I think, you know, I, I read and, and visited with you a little bit about your prediction that you believe Hillary's going to win. And I think you're at 318 uh, electoral college votes. And you're probably going to get in that next hour. So you're probably saying, stop stealing my thunder. But uh, I think when you take a look at what Nate Silver's showing on the 538, what you're seeing in real clear politics right now, being north of 80% on the betting odds, being for Hillary Clinton, these are things that people are going to have to wrestle with after tomorrow night if this is the way it turns out. Officials can commit immoral acts, still be ethical in their professional duties. Polling among white evangelicals. You ready for this? 2011, only 30% of white evangelicals said yes. 2016, 72% say yes. Has the Bible been updated since 2011, Bob? No, I don't think the Bible, we both know that answer. The Bible has not been updated since 2011. I think what you've seen, you've seen a candidate that has changed. Uh, You're not dealing with... um, the Rick Santorum of 2011, or you're not dealing with the Mitt Romney of 2011. Uh, you're dealing with Donald Trump, who's been your nominee. And and the big reason, matter of fact, uh, when I'm looking at the people about the reason they're voting for uh, for Hillary and not Trump, it's just that there's no way I can go Trump. If they're voting for Trump and not Hillary, there's no way they can go for Hillary. So you're seeing motivation. And I think the key here is... This election is being is being decided on the word of fear. It's not the word of hope. And quite frankly, fear is a short term motivation. It might work for an election, but it's not going to work a long time. Long term. People need hope, not fear. That's what I want to spend most of our time talking about this hour. That's why I got um, I got the election analysis and your your vantage point out of the way up front, because I want to talk about. A lot of this hour, what does life look like when this is over, one way or the other, starting tomorrow? And uh, your buddy Frank Luntz did a focus group on 60 Minutes over the weekend. When we come back, we're going to share a, uh, a compilation of that audio. Because there are some troubling things in there. Not because anything got said that would surprise you, but because... Nothing got said that would surprise you. Every negative instinct you have, every fearful assumption you've made about where we're at is confirmed in this focus group. And we're going to discuss that here when we come back. Listening to Steve Dace. Everybody needs a hobby. So what's yours? 
resurrection. He's bringing back the American way. It's Steve Dace. All right, back here with Bob Vanderplatz from the Family Leader here on the Steve Dace Show. Just when Sean McDonough there with the voice cracking. <laughs> so he's made seven figures with his voice cracking call in ball games. I'm just sick. So your buddy Frank Luntz did a focus group for 60 minutes last night, Bob. And it was re- it was revealing in what it confirmed. This was a 15-minute segment. We've narrowed it down to about four minutes of mainly just the group talking amongst themselves. I want to share this with our audience, and then we're going to discuss it here right after it's done. So let's do a vote. Let's do a vote. How many of you are voting for your candidate? Raise your hands. Three. How many of you are voting against a candidate? Everybody else. I want you to describe how you feel about this political process with the election only hours away. I want you to give me a word or phrase. Not substantive. Terrified. Too long. Terrified. It's rigged. Exasperating. Circus. Disturbed. Horrifying. Disheartened. Annoyed. Disgusted. Word or phrase to describe Donald Trump. Unworthy. Immature. Racist. There's no words to describe him. Nightmare. The kind of pig that every woman has always had to deal with. That ass. Give me a word or phrase to describe Hillary Clinton. Corrupt. Entitled liar. Train wreck. Scandalous. Dishonest. Tell me something positive about this campaign season. Something positive about this campaign season. Wow. I would say, oh, dang it. To, you can't to even come up vote. with anything. It's hard to say something positive when you have people who are mad as hell. It's very hard to find positivity when people are pissed. How did we get to the point where every one of you with different backgrounds, different politics, different objectives, all of you gave me a negative reaction. How did we get here? Because we need one at a time. No more talking over each other. He was cheated out of the election. He was not cheated out of the election. He was cheated. How did we get here? It's our fault. You, you saw it here. Everybody's arguing. I'm afraid to even bring up a point. I'm not pro-Trump, but I see why people like him. And, you know, if I say that, I'm going to be, you know, ostracized. My biggest fear is that these candidates aren't a mistake, that the American people have elected the future of America, what we aspire to be and what we are deep down inside. I think Trump has gotten so much traction at this point because deep down inside, there are a lot of Americans that feel the exact same way as Deep down, our our country is divided. I'm sorry. We're not united. We are at each other's throats. And I'm sorry. Maybe this is what it is. Maybe this is the candidates that we want. Is this America? Are you, look around, are you America? Yes or no? Yes. No, we don't, we don't know how to listen to each other. Nobody will listen to any, anything Can I say one thing? To say. We don't know how to listen to each other. No. You know, we go on Facebook all day and we just blast out messages into the ether. But we don't actually take time to see what comes back. Look at how social media is. I mean, there's so much ugly stuff that we say to each other on social media where we attack each other, you know, we attack each other's views, we attack each other's, you know, heritage. How many of you would say that we are mad as hell? Raise your hands. It's just about everybody here. So, what are you mad at? I'm mad at the, the corruption, the money in politics, how they appease these big investors. It's just... What are you mad at? 
taxes. We're paying through the nose. We're spending money in the wrong places. We should cut funding to the military and spend it on social programs. What are you mad at? What? We're not taking care of our own. No. Veterans, mm -mm. people going hungry. Right. And we're all a nation of immigrants, but people are just walking in and getting social services, not contributing to the tax base. They do pay taxes. It's an abomination. It's election night, and I'm the losing candidate. What do you want me to say? I accept the results and, and to walk away and help the country move forward in the right direction. You lean towards Trump. You've said so many times. Yes, sir. Do you want Trump to say that the system isn't rigged? I want him. That's correct. It's not rigged. These are the results. Get behind the new person in charge. What do you want the loser to say to the winner on election night? I know this has been a, a long campaign, but at the end of the day, these are the results. And we've thrown a lot of mud over the last year and some change. But it's time for us to move on and become better and learn from this process. So I want to get everybody's take on this. As you listen to this conversation what stood out for you bob i'll start with you well first of all when i watched it i watched it last night for the first time because frank alerted me that he was going to be on 60 minutes and we've talked about this a lot about the emotion going on amongst the american people and so when you have a chance to watch this play it out in front of you of normal americans and a very good cross-section of americans mm -hmm. and they are exceptionally frustrated but the one thing that really stood out was when an African-American young man said, I believe we chose these two candidates because this is who we are as a country. I mean, I thought that just stood out like crazy that this is who we are. We're upset as crazy. You heard it there. They are upset with their choices. But this guy revealed this might be who we are as a country. That, that stood out to me. Todd. I was going to say the same thing. That was perfect. I've said it how many times. This is the election we deserve. We brought it upon ourselves. Uh, and we, uh, a lot of the people, not all of them, there was, some of them said some, had some very sharp comments. But we've become so brazen in our ignorance. The Facebook po comment echoed that. The, 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 the people, I know them, so they puff out their chest out on Facebook and on Twitter. Now, I don't care. If you've got some game you want to bring it, That's be forceful, be passionate. That's all that. But I know these are people that uh, they like the sabotage of all of that. They like the fact, and I know from being a reporter that a lot of reporters work this way. They they love the fact that they behind their typewriter that they can go to work and do the things they do. They would never have the courage to do these things uh, more directly. Now, what you've seen from the media is they, have, the one -on -one. is they have decided because of Trump's act, they are now free to just be as iconoclastically snarky and snotty um, as, as they were only in the privacy of their own newsrooms. And that that is, again, where... This is what it really is. And so they've just decided we don't even have to pretend anymore. He get, Because of what the stuff he's saying, we get to just really be honest about who we are, too. And in, until we blow up the paradigms, and Atlanta's going to stay that way. Listen, I, I, enough times, and that's why I drove them nuts there. If I had, I could be one on five there. But they knew they couldn't, their game, I mean, I, I was immune to it. I had been vaccinated. And nothing was, <laughs> they, 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 I said, I know they're scams. I know your, and I would concede, your scams work. I get it. I, that's why you do it. The lies you pull, the, the way you manipulate, oh, don't, no, you know I'm right. Don't lie to me. It's not going to work. But he, the, the man was absolutely right about how Facebook works, how people have been manipulated. They're in that ether now. 
And so we get this election. I was going to agree with with both of you. I sincerely hope that this election is one where we actually wake up and we have maybe our used to scrub moment. If you're familiar with the story that the Chronicles of Narnia, Voyage of the Dawn Treader with this spoiled little boy named Eustace um, goes on this adventure on, in, in Narnia. And he wakes up one morning and um, he finds out that uh, in all of his uh, largesse and all of his bad attitude and all of his just rottenness, he has become this dragon, this hideous dragon. I hope this is that moment. That's a great analogy. I want to play another clip from this focus group that we separated, and we'll do that here when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. to define the modern-day New Age America. We're all kind of crazy town banana pants. It's Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Bob Vanderplatz here with us from The Family Leader, coming up next hour. I'll give you my detailed predictions of what I think is going to happen in the election tomorrow. One more clip from your buddy Frank Luntz's focus group on 60 Minutes last night. But this time, this is Luntz relaying something to the reporter on 60 Minutes that he has seen from his focus groups. And I think what he says here is so important that I I had this clip separated unto itself. Listen to this. They've now dismissed all of you for your biases, for your focus on entertainment, for this battle for ratings and profitability rather than information and knowledge and they simply now collect information to affirm themselves rather than to inform themselves but when we don't even agree on the same facts then how can we possibly agree on the same solutions i had to do it again tonight bob do you know how many times i've had to respond to somebody who claims steve all the polls had reagan losing in 1980 and no they did not all the Reagan was leading all the polls for months. There was one Gallup poll before the la, the only debate that had Carter ahead, and then they had a debate, and Reagan won the debate, and then won the election in a landslide, as all the polls were forecasting up until that debate. Not to mention the fact we're a little bit different polling than we were 36 years ago. There there wasn't Hispanic voters in 36 years ago. There were there there weren't LGBTQ voters 36 years ago. Um, a Republican could still win California and New York 36 years ago. So I mean, even even if your facts were true, the common sense of recognizing a lot has changed in 36 years. It's a different era, a completely different era. I have to do this all of the time, and then people take this as you're you're so negative. You just you're 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 presenting information that isn't true. And this gets propagated all of the time, all of the time. And I'm primarily dealing with, of course, our own people, not even hardly even getting a chance to engage the other side. I I don't know. How do you govern yourselves going forward if 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 people are this uninformed and I think what Lunt says is exactly right. They're more interested in being affirmed than they are informed. I think what was so concerning there, Steve, and I remember that clip very well, 
is that we are choosing to be intentional about being uninformed. Yes. Meaning, I just want the facts that's going to affirm the way I want my narrative to, to play out. Or I just want, and so when he's saying we're, they are completely dismissing all news media, they're dismissing news outlets. They think you're in it for entertainment, profitability. They think it's rigged. They think it's a bias deal. So I'm just going to go where I'm affirmed. And so when I hear what I want to hear, that's where I'm going to stay. And if you challenge me on that, then I'm going to shout you down. I'm going to talk over you. That was everything Frank talked about in the 60 Minutes clip about how people talked over each other all the time. It was no longer I'm interested in a civil dialogue where I where you get to say a piece and I get to say a piece. It's if you're saying a piece that I don't agree with, I shout you down. And that's where Frank, I mean, one of his texts me, he said, Bob, it's one of the first times they really got upset in a focus group where I had to tell them, I'm ticked off. Knock it off. We're not doing this here. And it was a hard time for him to just keep control of the focus group. So where do we go? That's a great question for November 9th. Remember, we had a, we had a team meeting this morning uh, with the family leader, and we said, we're going to have another team meeting Wednesday morning. We're going to get through tomorrow night, and we're going to see – you know, how, how the vote is cast and and who got elected, who didn't, and all that. But then we need to take a look at where do we go. And I really believe the only way this is going to happen is through cultural transformation, spiritual revival, turning our hearts back to God, uniting above that that's something much bigger than ourselves versus a candidate or versus a party or verse, versus any flawed vessel. Yes, we have choices to make, and I respect those choices. But at the end of the day, what's going to unite us has to be much bigger than an election of 2016. What do you think, Todd? Because somebody else would have to talk, because I'm not sure my voice is going to make the next half an hour. This is awesome. Let's go. When the yellers on all sides get away with that yelling, which they do all the time, and those in the middle have excuses, I just want to be left alone, or they call themselves conservatives, but their view of conservative, listen, I like nice stuff too, but being a conservative is not living in your gated community and making sure you have a garage full of stuff and all your toys, and then letting the rest of the community uh, be dictated to by all the yelling, screaming button pushers. This is like I talked about with my former Des Moines Register colleagues, you know, you, you don't have to yell and scream in the same way, but you do have to fight. You do have to know your way around an alley. You have to know how to win. There's no other way. And you're right. It's going to take revival. But it's going. To, it's not going to take revival that's lily white. It's going to be messy. It's going to look like John the Baptist. It's going to like uh, look like all the prophets of old. And right now we have these antiseptic churches that are afraid of their own shadow. And they want to know what to do. If a real, uh, a modern-day leper crossed their path, and until that changes, game over. And that's why there's a huge opportunity for the church in all of this. Amen. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. trying to keep us all together because, well, the liberals do it. See what you call insanity? We call solidarity. This is Steve Dace. Back here on the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network on Election Eve, powered by Conservative Review. 
Bob Vanderplotz is here from the Family Leader. So, Bob, throughout this election, one of the things that uh, we have talked about is when you have two candidates that have 100% name ID, really difficult to change people's minds. We played this audio earlier. This is Rachel Maddow, of all people on MSNBC, making this exact same point using their polling data. Listen to this. There is one thing in the polling that I just want to point out. For everything that we've been through uh, over the course of this campaign, for everything that has changed, all the twists and turns, so many reversals of fortune, just look at this for a second. We're going to put this up on the screen. This is how Hillary Clinton was viewed at the start of the campaign in January. 40% positive. You see that? Here's how Hillary Clinton is viewed now at the end of the campaign. October 2016. Oh, look, 40% positive. 40% in January, 40% in October. Now look at Donald Trump. Start of the campaign, this is January. Donald Trump viewed positively by 29% of the country. Now Donald Trump has gone from 29% then to, this is October, 29% now. The country has not changed. I mean, in terms of the likability, which is basically the core view of these candidates, we haven't changed over the course of everything that has happened in this campaign. And even if you ask people how they feel about the prospect of either of these candidates being elected, again, look at this. These numbers are they start in, in, in February and they go through to October. This is, would you be hopeful or satisfied if Donald Trump wins? 33% say yes. In October, 34% say yes. It's exactly the same for Hillary Clinton. Would you be hopeful or satisfied if she wins? 43 in February, 43 now. I mean, this campaign has been has been riveting. It has been through almost unimaginable twists and turns. But you know what? These candidates, and Brian Williams talked about this from the very beginning of this campaign. These candidates were household names from the very, very beginning Mm -hmm. of this. We knew how we feel about them, and we still feel exactly the same way, given everything that we have been through. I felt Donald Trump was the first presidential candidate with 100% walking away name recognition. And the only other candidate for that is Hillary Clinton. And the the country, we knew what we thought about them before. We, We have had that reaffirmed over all these months. Your thoughts as you as you listen to that, because when you have two candidates this well known that are this disliked and not many's not many minds are changed, then they are working at largely driving out people they've already that are already leaning their way, already converted. How do you do that? You have to turn them to the point of just really utter hatred towards the other side, right? Exactly. Well, the first thing I thought is that you and Rachel Maddow must have, you know, talked earlier on, because I think you made this point very early on that both these candidates are going to come in with 100 percent name ID. People are already going to have their opinions made up about them. And there's probably not going to be a lot that's going to be able to change it. And that's why, regardless of what came out about Trump, people just weren't all that surprised about it. It may have shown a dip in the polls for a little while, but then people came right back because, you know, you know, we figured that about Donald Trump way back in in January already with Hillary Clinton. The same thing. How many more emails do you want? Six hundred and fifty thousand versus thirty three thousand. Is there another smoking gun? We all believe there is. And so people already had that their mind made up on that. And so what it is, Steve, you're exactly right, is that this campaign is not based on a vision of hope, a vision of what America can be. It's a based on a vision of fear and a hatred of the other candidate. If you're going to if you want to motivate your people to vote for Hillary Clinton, you have to put out a, a visceral hatred 
towards Donald Trump. And if you want your people to vote for Donald Trump, you have to put out a hatred towards Hillary Clinton. That is not good for the American people. And that's why I think what Aaron pointed out with the Chronicles of, of, of Narnia is exactly right. We may wake up on November 9 and go, this is who we are. And that's why I believe there's an opportunity for the church to be the church, to give people really true hope that they can believe which, in. What church would that be? Would that be the one that changes its positions on um, ethics and no, morality? No, I, I, I am talking about the broader church. The broader church has committed to the Great Commission about winning souls for Christ and then dis- discipling ambassadors for Christ. And I believe that is a true hope for the, ch- for the church to step in and say, you know what, there's a real void here. People are just upset. They're angry. They're frustrated. They're they're hopeless. They're fearful. Give them something to hang on to. And this, to me, could be a great spark for revival. All right. One more thing I want to discuss with you tonight before we let you go, because I think this will go along. The answer to this goes a long way in determining what life is like when this is over. I don't believe, and I would like to be convinced I'm wrong. I don't believe if the videos of Trump calling Fox and friends during the Gang of Eight battle saying we have to do amnesty or we'll ne- Republicans will never win again, uh, I the, 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 grab them by the you-know-what. I don't believe if those things had come out eight months ago, nine months ago, it would have saved us from this. I think his name ID was too powerful. I think the cult of celebrity was too strong. I think the amount of free media that he received that was just an, a relentless onslaught from uh, liberal media that wanted him to be in this position to go against her because of these things. And I think too many people are low information, uninformed, not discerning. Uh, mind share equals market share. Yeah, I hate the GOP. Donald Trump's like, oh, okay, okay. That, that's what most, how most people roll. And, and I'm not sure if all this opposition stuff would have come out eight, nine months ago that it would have saved us from this. I want to be wrong about that because that's the kind of stuff that has me reassessing life choices. All right. Uh, you know, in terms of clientele you're trying to serve, if you know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So I want you to please convince me I am wrong about that because I, I don't believe it would have made a difference. I think he still would have won. Well, first of all, you're not wrong about it because I think what it is, what Donald Trump has showed us, is that he is in touch with the American people. It might be all of his days on The Apprentice and the reality TV show, whatever it is, but he understood that America was at a bubbling point, a boiling point. It was pent-up emotion. And the thing that Frank Luntz discovered in his focus group about People are going to where they want to be affirmed. People are going to where, doggone it, I wanted to say that for a long time, and finally somebody said it. It wasn't based on, say, information and intellect and a brighter vision for the future. It was based on emotion, and I want somebody to shake it up. And that's why this election has never been status quo, but it's been about change. The fact is, can the guy offering this type of change beat the status quo in Hillary Clinton? And we're going to find out tomorrow night. So we're screwed as a people, then. Why things where you wake up July 9 and that's, say, that's, this, what, this is us. What you just said is we're screwed. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Trying to trick the libs with the truth. Hey, I'm not falling for that. It's Steve Dace. 
All right, so we come to the end of tonight's conversation with Bob Vanderplatz from The Family Leader. Gentlemen, what stood out to you from the discussion we just had? Well, when uh, Bob talks about the need for revival, as he always does, and he's right, I really hope that starting November 9th, we see something far greater than just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. I want to see that, what that looks like post-haste. I don't want to see a bunch of meetings about it. I don't want to see a bunch of documents uh, signed by various uh, different denominations coming together. I want to see some banging of skulls. I want to see my excommunication t-shirt come alive. Yeah, you need to get on that, man. That's exactly exactly where I was going as well. And if you'll indulge me a little bit as I flesh out more of my Chronicles of Narnia, uh, uh, Eustace Scrub analogy. You know, Eustace, as I mentioned earlier, was this just rotten little boy who found himself in Narnia sailing around on this boat with a bunch of people he didn't know and a bunch of creatures he didn't know, all of whom he disliked. And one morning he woke up in all of his largeness, largesse and his um, uh, rottenness, and he found himself to be turned into this hideous, terrible dragon. And he was in pain. And he saw himself, and he saw himself for what he was, and he hated himself for it. And he tried to tear this dragon hide off of himself by his own means, by using his own claws, but all he found was more dragon hide and more ugliness. But how did, how did he actually become uh, somebody who was actually um, revived and healed? How, how did that come to pass? The lion Aslan had to take his own claws and he had to peel that dragon hide off of Eustace and it was painful and that's the that's the choice I think that America has right now that's the choice that we have right now either we can face the music and take our whipping because that's what we have coming for us or we can try to heal ourselves by our own means which will only lead to more misery that's where we're at right now and that's the that's the choice and i'm with you todd that we have come november 9th that we're going to have to see more than just a few signed documents we're going to have to see a a lot more than just a few uh really well-worded documents about where the conservative movement or whatever the heck that means goes from here on in we're going to have to see real change we're going to have to see as you said the excommunications continue until morality improves And when I hear those words come out of my mouth or your mouth, my first gut reaction is, it's probably still going to be worse four years from now. Yep. Two hours down, one to go. Thank you. Might as well stick around and see if my voice holds up, if for no other reason. Plus, my predictions of what's going to happen tomorrow and why. Next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Come on. 
And we're back with Hour 3 here at the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Here on the Salem Radio Network, steve at stevedace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Let's get to three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It's that time of night when our producer Aaron gets to set the agenda around here. He gets to ask the questions. He gets to ask us any three things about any three things. This is three questions. He can ask anything he likes, provided he answers the same questions he asks of us. Aaron. Thank you, Steve. Uh, this first question is from a Twitter user by the name of Five Down Territory. They ask, if Trump loses tomorrow night, what will his concession speech be like? I would ask the same thing of Hillary Clinton as well. What would her concession speech be like? Um, I think with Hillary Clinton, you would uh, likely get sort of a standard concession speech. I don't know what we would get um, with Donald Trump. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what we'd get. Might go at least some of the way towards what life will be like in this country starting November 9th and beyond. But um, I don't know. I mean, we've really only seen him give one concession speech. And that was the night of the Iowa caucuses. And came out, said he loved Iowa, spoke for like five minutes, walked off the stage. Congratulated. He was a gentleman. For the most part. As, tr- as Trump's he was brief. Goes. He was brief. So I, I have no idea, Todd, what he will do if he has to give a concession speech. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't give one, but just stood up there and thanked his supporters and held a mini rally on national television and uh, said, I'm not going anywhere and walked away. That wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me either. Here's what's popped into my head, and I'm not going to bet the house on it, but I can see a scenario where it's with Hillary, everybody around her is hiding all the sharp things, that it would, she would be almost half there because she would have missed out on her last chance. With Trump, I can see him actually having a good old time, just a hoedown, like, hey, this was a great time, wasn't it, guys? You know, he knows whatever schemes he's got in the future are unfolding. He really, all, his heart wasn't completely in this thing to begin with, and he'd just be happy the thing is over and we're going to move on uh, to the next thing. So, again, wouldn't it surprise me if neither one of those things happened, but I can see a picture being painted on both ends as well. Yeah, part of me wants to say that uh, Trump needs to still play to his base, um, if you know, because Trump TV is still in play. But his base, if they are the cultists, it doesn't matter what he'll say; they're still going to follow him. And so I can see him; I can imagine him just going out there and and uh, being pretty laissez-faire and uh, doing a, a, a prototypical concession speech. I, I, for some reason, I just don't anticipate him going crazy, but I. 
I just said those words out loud, didn't I? And then I agree with your take for um, for Hillary Clinton, Steve. I, I think she'll do the, the regular uh, concession speech because I, I don't think she'll be going. I mean, she's getting up there in age, but still, I think she'll be a, a force in politics for a few years at least down the road. As always, if you want to submit a question uh, to be considered, to be asked, in this segment, three questions, you can email me, Aaron, at stevedace.com, like Nick Olson, who asks, bacon-flavored or bacon-wrapped food is all over the place and a new fad. Is there anything that you wished would be bacon-flavored or wrapped in bacon that isn't yet? This election. <laughs> You know, a few years ago, I said uh, bacon chocolate, two of my favorite things, and then somebody sent me a whole bunch of it because that had already been done. So I, I don't know bacon what's... brisket, chocolate-dipped bacon brisket. Yes, there you go. I, I don't know what's left, Todd. Do you, can you think of anything that's left? I, I, I can't think of anything. You know, my, my kids decided after I dodged it for two weeks, they decided to give me this cold that they've had. Uh, of course, when I need to essentially be up the next forty-eight hours in a row, um, so maybe some bacon-flavored ha- some bacon-flavored halls that might be nice, uh, so that my voice holds up for the next couple of nights. But uh, other than that, I-, I can't think of much else. They do make the bacon-flavored breath mints, I believe, and everything they do with this is just a distraction from what's already been perfected. I mean, bacon-wrapped jalapenos with uh, cheddar cheese or cream cheese in the middle. I mean, you you have reached Valhalla. When you down like twenty of those, and it's a little rougher in the morning when you're forty four. Oh, sounds yeah. more like you reach Montezuma, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> hey, yeah. It's it's still worth it to me. Every year I get older, it might not be, but it's still worth it to me. Yeah, I think uh, I, I don't think this has been done yet, but they need to uh, come up with like bacon wrapped bacon or something like that. Just more bacon. Actually, that's just bacon, but still, it needs to be done. I haven't seen that marketed yet. Last question comes from uh, Micah Van Voorst. He asks, uh, do you think the Cleveland Browns should change their colors and mascot completely to rebrand the franchise? And if so, what is your suggestion? Personally, I think their colors resemble vomit and feces, kind of like their play on the field. Also, I've never heard a kid say, I want to be a Browns fan outside of Cleveland. It's a loaded question, Micah. What are those uniforms they're wearing now? Do you I can, know? I can't have, tell if they're orange. Or, I mean, they, is that the Syracuse orange that I watch on on, on the NFL Sunday ticket, or is it the Cleveland Browns? So, so to me, um, I'd make this very simple. I would go back to when our franchise mattered, when Paul Brown was the coach, Jim Brown played, or you go back to when we were kids in the '80s and Bernie Kosar and Kevin Mack. And Ernest Biner. This is the right answer. Led you to two straight AFC championship games, both of which you probably should have won, if not for two. Or one John Elway miracle and another one where Ernest Biner just literally dropped the ball twice. But, but I would, I would go back to where your legacy, um, comes from. Rather than trying to reinvent yourself, I would, uh, I, I would reform yourself. I, I would have a reformation here, I, not, 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 another, not another transformation. I, I would go back to where we were before. Yeah, and this doesn't seem complicated. If you don't, definitely don't totally uh, rebrand, though, because look at what just happened with the Cubs. I mean, the Browns aren't quite there yet. Uh, I mean, within recent, I mean, they've certainly had, as the aforementioned hard knocks that you've mentioned, Steve, but uh, 
the Cubs have shown us anything, it's, hey, man, hold on tight and keep working at it. It'll come. Yeah, I, I would say yes if there was some sort of evidence that just changing your mascot and your uniforms would help you win more. I, I would absolutely say yes uh, to that, but there's, I don't think, any evidence of that unless I'm missing something. Uh, so I would say no, just uh, like you said, Todd, just keep keep working at it. Uh, we're running ahead of schedule tonight. Here's a bonus question from, uh, this is Andrew Wagers, asks, if you were to make a mixtape uh, for the Republican Party, what would be the first three tracks? He submits Burn It Down by Linkin Park, Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants, and The Resistance by Josh Garrels. Um, the End by The Doors. Um, it's The End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M. And I Hate Everything About You by Ugly Kid Joe. Those might be my first three tracks. Todd? I'm just going with all the imaginary tracks on that imaginary band that our listener made up. Uh, the album, Forces Special Training. Forces Tranny album that they made up. Uh, we, you, did we read those on the air or did we just read them on the side? No, we could not read those we, on I the air. I just remember they were good. So that's what I'm going with. I'd have to say something about the same thing. Um, I don't know. I, I would like to say, I think there's a song by this German hard rock band named Rammstein called uh, Du Hast or Du Hast. I hate that stuff. Um, what? It's a it's a super, they, I don't know if you've ever heard any of their stuff. Uh, but uh, no. Have, it goes without saying. It's, I'm uh, 44, it's really, no. Yeah, really I've, hard metal. I have a mortgage, no. I, I would not have heard of it except for Guitar Hero. So I know what you're yeah. talking about. Uh, I think yeah. there's uh, I think there's some, some lyrics that, I don't know what it actually means. Uh, you hate, you hate me or something like that. So I, if that's the meaning, I'd go with that song. You hate me, you, you hate, you hate me. We'll come back. The Nightly Buzz is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. The free air? Well, you still can. The Steve Day Show. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. And we're back here on the Steve Day Show with the Nightly Buzz. Some of the headlines we didn't have time to get to earlier in the evening because we were doing other stuff. And so we're going to get to them now. What is causing the buzz on your social media at your water cooler? Headlines as reported uh, by our producer, Aaron. We will react with hot takes. Thank you, Steve. First story, Janet Reno, Reno, the first woman to serve as U.S. Attorney General and the epicenter of several political storms during the Clinton administration, including the seizure of Elian Gonzalez, died early today. She was 78 years old. She died from uh, complications of Parkinson's disease, one of the administration's most recognizable and polarizing figures. Reno faced criticism early in her tenure for the deadly raid on the Branch Davidian compound at Waco, Texas, where sect leader David Koresh 
and some 80 followers perished. I don't have much nice to say. May God had rest. May you know, God rest your soul. I hope. Uh, I hope that um, she accepted the grace and mercy of her Maker. Beyond that, not a fan. You know, the first Clinton term was when we were in college, Steve. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, those two, uh, Elian Gonzalez, those two examples, and the um, the co- Waco compound. How formative. Both of those issues were uh, philosophically uh, for me in in really trying to separate gut reaction and emotion or differentiate gut reaction and emotion from uh, principle because th- those were complex situations where you might think, well, of course, a, a little boy should be with his parents back in Cuba. Or you think, well, those people over in Waco are really, really weird. But then you think... What is the place of the federal government? What should it be doing? We talk now. We talk about this on this show all the time, and I vividly remember starting to deeply wrestle with those in a more transformative way, based on both of those issues and her involvement in them. Next story: Billy Graham turns ninety-eight today. The evangelist probably is one who spoke to more people face to face than any other person in. History, 215 million at last count. Additional hundreds of millions encountered him via electronic and print media. In 1956, he co-founded Christianity Today, which soon ranked as one of the most, or the most, widely read uh, read Christian periodicals in the world. Well, this is a legacy that speaks for itself. I mean, my whole life he has ranked... I mean, the polls they do at the end of the year, most you know, the most admirable people. My whole life, he has been on that list somewhere, and for good reason. And I'm going to try not to sound nostalgic because nobody's perfect. And the good old days are never as good as you remember them, but they just don't they don't seem to make them like that anymore. And I don't know if if today's partisan-driven Christian leader is the result of the balkanization of the culture, or if it caused helped cause the balkanization of the culture. Meaning, it it may no longer be possible to be a transcendent apostolic um, engager of the culture. Uh, or the body politic the way that Billy Graham was for many decades. That may not be possible anymore. I, I don't know. Or the fact that we aren't engaging in that way may create a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know the answer to that either. Uh, um, I just know that um, we, have not, we have not helped our witness through the adoption of of a partisan perch which is opposite of the way he approached things through the 50s the 60s the 70s well into the 80s and that's not debatable what is debatable is whether that was unavoidable in a post Roe v. Wade world the intrinsic evils that are being presented now required for us to go down this road I'll let other people debate that but what is not debatable is that 
we have we have helped our witness by doing this differently than he did it for many many years. And even though he was uh, nonpartisan, and I, I don't know, there was a book about this Pat, preacher to the presidents, I believe. I I read it. I can't remember if that's the exact title, but uh, you know he was uh, in the White House at a place. A regular place in the White House for I think seven, eight presidents, but the Nixon administration he was blindsided by that. Uh, he he got a little uh, too close to D.C. after a while and had it on cruise control. So even a man of the the grace of of Billy Graham he went inside that city for too long uh, can get blindsided. And to think that that may, I I don't know the degree to which um, all his faculties are there, Steve. But can, can you imagine? The vigor, the, the the faith that started off in that first, uh, what, revival in L.A. in 1950, I believe it was on the head, was it not? To to still be alive and to be looking at the world we're living, not only with this election, but with the bathroom debate. You know, and that's going on in his home state, by the way. Yes. Uh, it, it must, I almost wish that it's past his ability to wrestle with intellectually any, anymore because... To, to give your heart and soul to the things of God and to watch this cave around you, uh, it, it, it must be a deep sadness at times. Next story, an openly gay British journalist is speaking out in defense of Christian bakers in Northern Ireland who were found guilty of discrimination for declining to make a cake that included the message, support gay marriage on it. In an op-ed published today, Telegraph reporter Neil Midgley said despite being gay, he's quote-unquote horrified that the owners of Asher's baking company lost an appeal to their discrimination case. He wrote, quote, as a gay man, I'm horrified that Christian bakers are being forced to, to surrender their beliefs, end quote. For some background on this case, the MacArthur family, which owns the bake shop, declined to make a cake in 2014 for an LGBTQ activist named Gareth Lee. In addition to including the quote-unquote support gay marriage message, Lee reportedly also wanted the cake to have a logo for his organization Queer Space and an image of Sesame Street's Bert and Ernie hugging. With MacArthur's declined uh, plea, Lee complained and, or when the MacArthur's declined that original request, Lee complained to the Northern Ireland Equality Commission and they launched an investigation. Now, Midgley is writing in uh, the Telegraph his dissatisfaction with that decision. I think that um, as we move forward in an increasingly diverse and pluralistic society, we're going to have to be very careful about installing policies that we would be uncomfortable being used the other way if the people who didn't agree with us were in power. Sounds to me like this is something that this particular journalist Todd is wrestling with. But he's such a rare breed. He obviously... On both sides, he's a rare breed. Yes. Well said. You're listening to Steve Dace. This show is dedicated to bacon every day. The Steve Day Show. And it's time to go on the record one last time. We've been teasing this throughout the night. 
So, gentlemen, here they are, my final election predictions for 2016. And again, i got to warn you, if you're hearing this sound tonight, it's because I'm using performance-enhancing drugs in order to make it through the next couple of days. Frankly, if there wasn't an election going on, I wouldn't be doing this tonight. I'd be strung out on NyQuil, crashing until I slept this thing off. But alas, I need to be up pretty much the next 48 hours in a row, so that is not an option. So instead, I will, I will have to do this enhanced, so to speak. So those are halls, which we call steroids in the talk radio business. So I'm juicing, just in case uh, you were wondering what that sound is in the background. All right, so let's take a look ahead to tomorrow. I want to I frame the electorate first. Because when the exit polling data came in at 8 o'clock Eastern four years ago, that showed Hispanic turnout was roughly what it was in 08, a little less. Black turnout was every bit what it was in 08. And a majority of the electorate blamed Bush for the stagnant economy. You guys weren't working with me then, but I told the people that were sitting in your chairs four years ago, right before we went on the air, as soon as I saw that, it's over. Because that's the, that's the framing, the shaping of the battlefield. And if that's the field we're going to play on here, you can't win on that field. All right? So before we get to predictions, let's frame the battlefield. This is what I expect the electorate to look like tomorrow night. I think you're going to see high volume turnout among white voters, particularly those who are less educated and older. I think Trump's turnout is going to be impressive, and I think he's going to leave voters on the table because of his organization. I think you'll see Republican voter, Republicans do better with these voters than they have in many years, especially in 2012. But I think you're going to see Democrats do better with college-educated whites than maybe they've ever done, too. One of the key questions will be, and we talked about this earlier tonight, if you look at the final polls of this year compared to 2012, Trump is actually underperforming Romney collectively among whites. But that's because they're not breaking out non-college educated versus college educated. So, so Trump needs the number. It's not the percentage. It is the number. Trump needs the number of college educated whites to be greater across the country than the number of college educated whites. May need it to be much greater. I think you will see millennial and black turnout dip below 2012 levels. I think you will see a record high Hispanic turnout, especially in some key battleground states, maybe even nationally. But I'd look at Arizona, Texas, North Carolina. I'm sorry, not North Carolina, Florida, Colorado. Those are the four states I'd be looking at. If Hillary Clinton were to win Arizona... Finish better in Texas than anticipated, that's going to be why. I also think we have the potential to produce a record high gender gap. Now, again, that may not be, that's not all bad news for Trump. Because if you have a gender gap one way in favor of women, for Hillary, what does that mean for men the other way? That they favor him just as greatly. That's why it won't be the percentage, it'll be the number. What are the number of women who vote compared to the number of men? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think this is the electorate we're going to be looking at tomorrow night 
about 8 o'clock Eastern, when the first macro exit polls come in as we're waiting for the first states to close. Todd. So really quick, it, it sounds, based on all that, like overall you think it's probably going to be over 50% of registered voters, and not, it wasn't too long ago they were talking about the high likelihood it would be under. If I'm reading what you said correctly, what has changed between the time we last talked about it that you're I'm feeling- looking at early voting in Florida that shows 300,000 Hispanics that, weren't, that didn't even vote in 2012 have early voted in that state. I'm looking, that's what I'm looking at. And that's just one state. That's just one state, but a very populous one. The turnout in Florida, the early voting turnout in Florida is greater than the 2000 election com- total when it was the recount down there. More people have voted early in Florida than voted total in Florida in the tw- 2000 presidential election. So that's what I'm looking at. So basically it all so speaks think, to this all being again a referendum on trump and that's driving things. i think i think we're going to see turnout that that will actually now be roughly what it was in 2012 which is 57 percent. i just think you're, you're going to see hispanic voters take the place of black voters in terms of making up that difference so now that we've sort of framed what the electorate i think will look like let's make some picks we'll do that next Listening to Steve Dace. is a force of nature. One of the most powerful storms ever to hit land. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So we frame the electorate. Here's how I think it will finish. And I, I submitted these picks late Saturday night. So they're going to sound familiar to what some other people have said over the last 24 hours, but uh, I actually had to submit these for a Conservative Review's deadline about uh, 48 hours ago. So keep that in mind. National popular vote. I believe Hillary Clinton will win 48% of the vote. Donald Trump will win 44% of the vote. Gary Johnson, 3%. What a tremendous disappointment that would be. Others, I think, will get 3%. And then I think Jill Stein will get roughly 2%. That's what I think you'll see of the popular vote around the country. I can't argue with anything. I mean, it's, it seems within the scope of what we've been talking about for a while now and... Uh... Let's get on with it and move on to November 9th. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is uh, a major disappointment by the uh, Libertarian Party, and we've, we've we've talked about that before. But uh, as with almost all these things coming down to the end here, every, everything's, a, everything's a disappointment. Electoral College, I believe Hillary Clinton will finish with 318 Electoral College votes. I believe she'll win California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, District of Columbia, Florida. Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Nevada, North Carolina, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, and Wisconsin. I think Donald Trump ends up with 220 electoral college votes. I think he wins Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, 03, that split district up there. Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Ohio, 
although I'm not as confident about that as I was 48 hours ago looking at the trend line there. Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas. I think he'll pull it out in Utah, but I think that's going to be a lot closer than people think. I think you're going to see Democrats cross over and vote for Evan McMullen. West Virginia and Wyoming. Who did you have Florida with? I think Hillary Clinton's right. going to win Florida. I, did, I heard that both Florida, and I forgive me, I wish I knew the poll, but both Florida and North Carolina but today was trending towards Donald Trump. Did you hear anything along those lines? I think, um, here's the thing. If you're telling me Arizona is within the margin for error, why would be Arizona be in the margin for error? Because we have a weak Republican nominee. Well, be more specific. What, Hispanics? Right. So you're telling me Arizona is within the margin for error, but he's going to overcome an even bigger Hispanic population in Florida? I don't buy that. Plus, you also have to remember, I've been operating under this theory before any of this data came out, and the theory is this. And And this is what I did to call the 2012 election. In any state where Romney led by two points or less, I gave it to Obama. Like Florida. Any state where he leads by two points or less, I'm giving him to her. Because I think the I think the organizational advantage on the ground... They're always better. They're always better, but this time I think the gulf is much better. I mean, I read something today that, that the, the Trump campaign says they have not been doing voter tracking in Florida for the last week or so. I, I I don't I can't tell That's you why. That's the most that. believable thing I've ever I, heard, I, Steve. I, I, I just was I just I could not believe that when I read that. Why? That's him. That's this whole election. We eh. are we're a long ways away from when you were talking about um, the the need for the whoever the Republican nominee is to add to the coalition, add to their base. Uh, we're a long ways away from that. But as you listed off those states that you thought Trump would win versus uh, states Hillary would win, uh, just off the top of my head, I haven't had, obviously, time to go through these state by state as I'm as I'm hearing this. But is Iowa the only state, um, just off the top of my head, that is different that uh, Trump flipped from 2012 to Iowa 2016? Iowa and Ohio are the two that I have. Iowa, Ohio, and I think it's possibly could flip New Hampshire. Those are the three that I have him flipping. And I asked you last week, and you've had a little bit more time to think and look at all the latest polling. Is is there one state or a couple states that are starting to form in your mind as a, oh, watch this bellwether if, if something on the edge of perhaps turning a tide? Well, North Carolina and Florida close relatively early. Okay, so if she wins either of those. Turn out the lights. We're, yeah, we're, we have not had uh, in, in the Associated Press call a presidential election. Prior to 11 p.m. Eastern, since 1996, I think it was. Um, or 2008 was really close to that. If if she wins either North Carolina or Florida, fire up to Don Meredith. I mean, the path is done at that point, right then. Now, if, if he wins them both, now we will have some drama. Because now we will see if her firewall, which all along we have pointed out, is what? Colorado, Virginia, and Pennsylvania. Now, and where is she tonight, the last night of the campaign? Where is she? She's in Philadelphia with Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen in Pennsylvania. So uh, that if, if, if he wins both of those states, and keep in mind you have, you know, we, we call it the margin of cheating, but it's, it's gamesmanship. If this is within a point or two, the poll, they're going to find a federal judge in North Carolina that's going to keep the polls open in Charlotte and Richmond for who knows how long. 
If it's within a point or two in Florida, they'll do the same thing in Broward and Miami-Dade. So we may not, if, if she wins those states, we'll probably know quickly. If he's on par to win those states, grab a Snickers. And head west. Because we're going to be, because they'll be finding federal judges to leave the polls open. You smile, but this is the game. It is what it is. Just hate the game, not the player. I mean, it is what it is. So if, if, if those states are trending towards him tomorrow night, it'll be a long wait because they will find a federal judge somewhere to keep polls open in the inner cities in those, in those states. Uh, that's just the way the game is played, and they're good at it. If it looks like she's going to win those states, though, I believe you'll probably find out quicker. And it's conceivable that, uh, you know, we go on the air at 9 o'clock, East, or 9 o'clock Eastern. I mean, North Carolina could be called for her before we go on the air. If it, if it is, if she were to win. In fact, looking at the trend line, I'm probably less confident of him winning Ohio than I was when I turned these in 48 hours ago. But I might be less confident of her winning North Carolina than I was when I turned this in 48 hours ago. If she wins North Carolina, though, then we are just waiting for the final numbers to come in. We'll come back, wrap things up, and take a look at what I think we're going to see in the U.S. Senate next. You're listening to Steve Dace. got his finger on the button of truth put the finger down it's steve dace so we've talked presidential election gentlemen let's close it out by taking a look at what i think will happen tomorrow in congress and the gop is looking at about a 10 seat loss in the house but nowhere near what it would take to tilt the balance of power so i believe uh, the republicans will will easily be in the majority come January. But the drama will be in the Senate. Right now, I forecast there are 47 safe seats for Republicans and 46 safe seats for the Democrats. That means seven states will determine who controls that chamber. Florida, Missouri, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Among those, I project that Florida with Marco Rubio and Indiana with Todd Young taking on who had been heavily favored, Evan Bayh. I believe those are leaning now Republican. However, I think Nevada, I think Joe Heck's going to get washed away in the blue wave that we saw. I don't know if you guys saw those pictures I tweeted out over the weekend of early voting sites in predominantly Hispanic neighborhoods in Nevada. I have never seen anything like that. We may find out that Trump does for the Hispanic vote what Barack Obama did for gun sales when this is all said and done. Uh, But I think you're going to see Joe Heck get washed away in that. And I think in the end, nice comeback by Ron Johnson, who a lot of people wrote off, myself included, a few months ago. But I think in the end, Russ Feingold will pull that off. And so Nevada and Wisconsin trend to the Democrats. That now makes it 49 to 48 for the Republicans with three seats. Missouri, New Hampshire, and Pennsylvania. And I I just think those three are too close to call. I, I mean, I, I think they're way too close to call. And, I, and there's a- evidence that Trump is helping and hurting in all three of those states. So when we wake up on Wednesday, I'm going to predict the Senate. If you count Bernie Sanders amongst the Democrats, I'm going to predict it's 50-50 in the United States Senate when this is all said and done. 
Your thoughts? Sounds like the worst case scenario, and I think we made a, might might have brought this up before. It sounds like the worst case scenario for Paul Ryan. I mean, yeah, you you still retain control of the house, but um, you know, at least you want to have some sort of um, direction or some uh, other entity you can play off of. Um, but if the Senate is split like that, then wouldn't want to be in his shoes. I think we had a conversation on Friday that got me thinking over the weekend. I think Paul Ryan is not long for this job. I think he's going to find a way to get out. Yeah, I told you. I think Paul Ryan needs to decide between between now and, and January whether he wants to be president of the United States or not if Trump were to lose tomorrow. Because in this scenario, that's he's done. I mean, by this time next year, I'm telling you, he'll be... He'll be in John Boehner territory. It's a no-win scenario. So I, 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 I would just step down. Yeah. yeah, I just would step down if it was me. Now, if he if he doesn't think he can win the presidency in 2020, then hey, that's a pretty powerful position, right? John three seventeen. You're listening to Steve Dace. 